Luke 17, we begin with verse 1. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he is come from the field, Go and sit down to meat, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Amen. We'll end our reading in verse 10. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. I want to call your attention in particular to the prayer request that is given to our Lord by the apostles. It's recorded for us in verse 5, where we read, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. The apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. If those who were nearest to Christ felt the need for increased faith, how much more should we feel the need today? Spurgeon makes a fitting remark when he says, If the twelve mightiest in the army of the Lord of hosts had need of such a supplication, what shall we say who are but the interior soldiers, the feeblest saints? If ye hope to win the day, does it not well become us to pray, increase our faith? Dr. Cairns preached a sermon on this text some while back. He made an interesting observation. He said, this is the only place in Luke's gospel where the narrative contains the collective desire and sense of need of all the apostles. You'll notice it wasn't just a single apostle. It wasn't the inner circle of Christ's apostles who sensed this need. Verse 5 tells us that the apostles, plural, said unto the Lord, increase our faith. This is one of those verses in the New Testament that stands out in such a way that we see fit to utilize it often under any number of circumstances. 
In other words, we constantly feel the need for our faith to be increased. We lament the weakness of our faith. We wonder at times if we're being honest with ourselves to say that we even have any faith at all. The needs we face are so great on so many different levels. The needs in our land are great. The needs in our churches are great. The needs in our own hearts are so great that these things should compel us to cry, Lord, increase my faith. I once heard a sermon from 1 Peter chapter 5. That chapter begins with a word to the elders of the church, the elders which are among you, I exhort, verse 1, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over, the, over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And that last one especially do I find striking and challenging, being an example to the flock. I'm to be that example. In close connection with this word, we could cross-reference Hebrews 13 and verse 7, which is a word to the people of God in general regarding the way they follow their leaders. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow Oh my, if I'm to be an example, and my faith is supposed to be the faith that others follow, then I stand in great need of having my faith increased. The best example I know to set before you is the example of one who, like the apostles, would seek the Lord for greater faith. I would have you follow my example by seeking the Lord for yourselves for greater faith. And I dare say we all feel such a need, and we should all have that kind of desire. After all, Christ himself said on another occasion to two blind men, According to your faith be it unto you. Matthew 9.29 And in Hebrews 11.6 we're told that without faith it is impossible to please God. On an even more basic level, salvation is by faith. By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If I could quote Spurgeon again, he notes, Faith is the salvation grace. We are not saved by love, but we are saved by grace, and we are saved by faith. We are not saved by courage. We are not saved by patience. We are saved by faith. That is to say, God gives his salvation to faith and not to any other virtue. It is nowhere written, he that loveth shall be saved. It is nowhere recorded that a patient sinner shall be saved. But it is said, he that believeth shall be saved. Faith is also one of the three things, according to Spurgeon, that God views as precious. Reference is made to the precious blood of Christ. Reference is also made to exceeding great and 
precious promises. And then reference is made also to them that have obtained like precious faith. When I think of the needs of our church and I think of the needs of particular families and individuals in this church, how can I see those needs met? How will we rise to the challenges we face as a church or as families or on a personal level? I'd suggest those challenges will only be met by an increase of faith. When faith is increased, I believe we'll see greater zeal for the gospel. When faith is increased, we'll see greater advances in our own personal sanctification, which is just another way to say we'll see more of holiness. This is my burden and desire, then. I said it before you that it will hopefully become your burden and desire as well. I would like to focus in the remaining moments this afternoon on the means for seeing our faith increased. The means for seeing our faith increased. Let's begin with the obvious. In order to see our faith increased, very simply put, we have to seek the Lord. We must seek the Lord. The apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. They went to the right person, and they recognized the person of Christ as being the source from which faith must come and will come. We live in a day, don't we, when faith is made an end in itself. You hear it from any number of sources that it's very important to have faith. doesn't really matter what you believe or who you believe in. As long as you have faith in something, faith is the all-important thing. That's tantamount to saying that a person must have faith in faith. Truth is, however, that your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. If a bridge has been structurally damaged by an earthquake so that it's on the verge of collapsing, it won't matter that you have faith in that bridge to hold you up when you cross it because you've crossed it countless times in the past. Your implicit faith in that bridge is not what held it up in the past. It was the structural soundness of the bridge that held it up. And if that soundness is no longer there, then your faith in that bridge, no matter how strong your faith may be, will not be adequate to hold up the bridge once it's been damaged and once it collapses. So is this the case with salvation? Not enough Simply to have faith, your faith must be rightly placed. Your faith must be placed in Christ, who is mighty to save. So the apostles knew where to go in order to see their prayer answered. They went to Jesus, who was mighty to save. They went to the right source. They took their petition to the one who could answer their prayer and who could increase their faith. Reminded of a sermon that Martin Lloyd-Jones preached on the disciples crossing the stormy sea and their faith had pretty much collapsed. Lord, carest thou not that we perish? 
I think that was actually the text of Lloyd-Jones' sermon. And even though their faith had collapsed, even though their faith had reached the point where they were tempted to think the Lord must not care, they nevertheless, even in the absence or a low ebb of faith, they knew who to go to, didn't they? They went to the Lord himself. So they did that much right. They recognized the right source. Interesting to note the immediate context of the apostles' petition. It follows on the heels of Christ explaining to them how much they must forgive others. Take heed to yourselves, verse 3. If thy brother trespass against him, uh, against thee, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. It would be easy in the course of such a day to question the sincerity of such an one who comes again and again to seek forgiveness. But the Lord never says, does he, that at some point you should question his sincerity. No, rather, you're to keep on forgiving him. And it is in response to this Christian duty of forgiveness that the apostles say to Christ, increase our faith. Oh, Lord, help me to have the faith that is needed for forgiving somebody who wrongs me that often and keeps returning that many times. Underlying this duty to forgive others then must be, and this is so essential, if you really are going to rise to the standard, if you really are going to be as forgiving as you're called upon to be, the only way that can be done is for you to have some understanding of just how much Christ has forgiven you. I dare say if you have the slightest clue as to what that amount is, then you won't find forgiving others to be a daunting task. Your understanding of how much you've been forgiven will enable you to rise to that standard of forgiving others. And it is certainly implied by this standard of forgiveness, isn't it, that Christ is willing to forgive those that sin against him and that sin against his Father Christ would not hold his followers to a higher standard than he himself would exercise. And so this Christian duty indicates that Christ will forgive you again and again and again and again indefinitely. As often as you go to him, he will forgive you. Doesn't matter that you've gone to him so many times already. So long as you keep coming, he'll keep on forgiving. But he expects the same from you. When it comes to forgiving others. And isn't this very often just where we need our faith to increase? Here I am again, Lord, seeking forgiveness for my sin, seeking forgiveness for the same sin, or seeking forgiveness for many sins. I know that it is sin. I confess it to be sin. And, oh, Lord, how powerless I seem to be to overcome it. Will you forgive me yet again? And in order for your faith to be increased to the point that you will believe that Christ will forgive you again, 
you would need for Christ himself to be increased in your mind and in your heart. You could say that there's little difference between this prayer of the apostles with the statement of John the Baptist when he said, he must increase, but I must decrease, John 3.30. Here is the means for faith being increased then. Faith is increased when Christ is increased, when my knowledge of him and appreciation for him is increased, then my confidence in him will increase. And my faith in him will increase. And we can make the application to the particular issue that gave rise to the petition. In other words, faith in Christ's willingness and authority to forgive your sins will increase as you, uh, as your knowledge of Christ's willingness and authority to forgive your sins increases. Does he really have that authority? And is he really willing to forgive me? This is what makes the miracles of Christ so important as those miracles are recorded in the Gospels. Many people with the wrong focus on their deepest needs look at the miracles of Christ in a completely wrong way. They take note of the fact that Christ healed many people of various maladies and they say to themselves, well, Christ can heal me then of my sicknesses. And it's certainly true that he can, and in some instances he does for his own glory. But his healing power is not revealed so that you may be healed of your ailments. His healing power is revealed so that you might know that he has the power and the authority to forgive your sins. I think my favorite account of... uh, any one miracle of Christ is given in Matthew 9 and verse 6, where we read, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And the very next verse says that he arose and departed to his house. And when you and I read that verse, it should move us not merely to say Look at that. Christ has the ability to raise up a man from the bed of sickness. No, it should move you rather to say, Hallelujah, Christ really does have the authority to forgive my sins. He's proven it by that miracle. And when you visit the cross of Christ, your faith in him will increase. Here is where he lays the groundwork for the forgiveness of sins. Here is where he demonstrates his love for you. And it is out of that love that he's willing to forgive you. And here is where he demonstrates his justice. There is a penalty, you see, that must be paid for sin. There is a just demand for death on account of sin. And so Christ himself lays down his life that his love may be displayed and that God's justice may be satisfied. Do you begin to see how in order for your faith to increase, Christ himself must increase. The more you know of who he is and what he's done, the more assurance you'll gain that he really is able and willing 
to forgive you of your sins, of all your sins. This is why it's so important to go to the right source in order for your faith to be increased. It won't do to go to a preacher and say to him that you need your faith increased. He doesn't have the means or the authority to increase your faith, nor does the church in and of itself have that authority. The church's true function is not to exercise an authority it doesn't have. The church's function is to declare to you that Christ is the one you must seek. He's the one you must go to because he does have the power and authority and the willingness to increase your faith, especially to increase your faith in his love and grace to forgive you of your sins, which in turn leads to you being willing to forgive others of their sins. The first means then to seeing your faith increased is that you go to the one who can increase it. You must go to Christ, go to him in prayer, Go to him through his word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Paul writes in Romans. There is yet another means we must utilize to have our faith increased. Consider with me, secondly, we must exercise the faith that we have. You want your faith increased, you have to exercise the faith that you have. Spurgeon, again, makes an insightful observation about faith being the root virtue to all other graces. He notes, Faith is the root grace. All other virtues and graces spring from it. Tell me of love. How can I love him in whom I do not believe? If I do not believe that there is a God and that he is the rewarder of all them that diligently seek him, how can I possibly love him? Tell me of patience. How can I exercise patience unless I have faith? For faith looks to the recompense of the reward. She says that all things are working together for our good. She believes that from our distresses the greater glory shall spring, and therefore she can endure. Tell me of courage, but who can have courage if he has not faith? Take what virtue you will, and you will see that it depends on faith. Faith is the silver thread upon which the pearls of the graces are to be strung. Break that, and you have broken the string. The pearls lie scattered on the ground, nor can you wear them for your own adornment. Faith is the mother of virtues. I was particularly struck by what he said about the connection between faith and love. How can you love someone in whom you don't believe? It's a valid point, and yet it occurs to me that Paul writes to the Galatians and says to them in Galatians 5 and verse 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Faith works by love. This is such an important principle to understand, especially in terms of seeing your faith increased. 
but it's important from another perspective as well. Faith, you know, is contrasted to works when it comes to salvation. By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation by good works amounts to a deceived faith. Deceived into placing faith in oneself. If you have faith in yourself and think that you can gain God's favor by being good, then there's no way that your faith can work by love. Your faith, rather, will work by servile fear. But faith that works by love is a faith that believes in the full and free provision God has made for the sinner's salvation. Faith that works by love is a faith that loves God and loves Christ and loves Christ's people and loves sinners. Faith that works by love is a faith that is driven by trust and gratitude toward the one you love. The point I wish to make now, however is that this faith will increase when it's exercised. You might say there's an analogy here that can be drawn from the physical realm that can be applied to the spiritual realm. Increasing strength in the physical realm requires exercise. This is something that we all know. I'm only stating the obvious when I say increase in strength comes by physical exercise. I remember dear Mary Hartman along these lines. She was something of an exercise buff, and I remember going to her once and asking her, Mary, in your opinion, which is more effective, a treadmill or an elliptical? She said to me, either one is better than the couch. Ouch. <laughs> but I get the point. Uh, you're not going to increase your physical strength by sitting on the couch watching YouTube videos about how to work out. Oh, if you could do it that way, I'd be the fittest man on the planet. Uh, doesn't work. Nor does it work that way in the spiritual realm. Something very important to keep in mind because there are many that name the name of Christ that love to pursue knowledge and love to read and they may have impressive libraries and they may do a lot of reading and certainly in the realm of spiritual growth there is a necessary, even an essential need for that kind of thing. But what I'm seeking now to emphasize is that apart from actually exercising faith, you will not increase your faith any more than you would your physical strength sitting on the couch, like I say, watching movies about physical fitness. Faith needs to be exercised. This is the whole point, you know, of an entire epistle in the New Testament. James makes it a very strong point that faith without works is dead. And for faith to work by love, you must be actively involved in exercising your faith so that your worship of Christ becomes an exercise of faith, faith working by love. I hope that when you come to church, you come here to exercise your faith. It's possible and sadly even common for Christians to come to church who do not exercise their faith. 
In order for you to exercise your faith, you must do more than simply occupy a seat. You must be more involved than simply being a passive observer. When prayer is being offered, your heart should be engaged in that prayer so that you are participating in it. When we raise our voices to God in praise through song, your heart must be actively engaged in deliberate devotion to God. And when it comes to the preaching of God's word, you should be exercising faith by the way you listen. I don't know how many Christians these days appreciate that. I think there's a tendency among many to think that when you get to the preaching of God's word, the worship time is over and the preaching amounts to a mere lecture. If that's your mindset, then you're not properly exercising your faith. You should view prayer and praise as the raising of your voice to God, expressing to him your love and thanksgiving, and you should view the preaching of God's word as the time that God speaks to you. And I should say here that if the preaching of God's word is viewed as an act of worship, then you'll give due reverence to that part of the worship service. You'll be actively involved in hearing and heeding God's word. This too is faith working by love. So faith is exercised in worship, but faith is also exercised through what we do toward others. 1 John 3 and verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So I wonder today, how do you exercise your faith? The challenge many of you face when it comes to exercising faith is that you find yourself so caught up in the mundane day-to-day activities of life that you hardly give faith a thought. You have a routine that you do from day to day. You may get up in the morning Read a chapter or two from your Bible, perhaps a devotional book, eat your breakfast, brush your teeth, kiss your spouse, if you have one, tell the children goodbye, then out the door and off to work where you engage in routine daily tasks. It is in this regard especially that you should set out and deliberately plan the exercise of your faith. I will this day as an act of faith read my Bible. I will this day as an act of faith raise my voice to God in prayer. I will this day as an act of faith be watchful, ever watchful for opportunities to speak to others about Christ. Exercising faith is essential to increasing your faith. And if devotional exercises become so mundane that you merely go through the motions, then you're not really exercising your faith. Now, just as in the realm of physical exercise, you meet resistance, and it's by exerting yourself against resistance that you gain strength, 
So does the same thing apply in the spiritual realm. What is it that keeps your faith from increasing? Well, it's the resistance of unbelief. It's doubt in God's promises and God's word. You must, therefore, work against that resistance by deliberately exercising your faith. How often does this happen? This happens at ministers' prayer meetings. Um, Too often, when you have a large gap between ministers praying. What's going on in that time of silence? Well, oftentimes you're waiting for someone to feel spiritual enough to pray. And sometimes if you're waiting for yourself to feel spiritual, you have to wait a long time. No, just pray. Pray anyway. Read your Bible anyway. And you may find that that will carry the day and your faith will kick in. That's why I kind of love it. Not everyone does this. They've done it in Toronto. I think if we ever host it here again, I'll adopt this pattern. Instead of waiting for one man to feel spiritual enough to pray after another minister, let's just start up here at the left and make our way across to the right, and we'll just go row by row, and I don't care how you feel, just pray when it's your turn to pray. And you may discover that that can be a way to uh, exercise your faith and to have your faith grow. So let's exercise our faith in the days ahead by utilizing the means of grace. Go to the Lord as the disciples did with the prayer that their faith would be increased and then put to good use the faith that you do have Don't let it be idle. Exercise it. Let's close then in prayer. O Lord, as we bow in thy presence and bring this meeting to a close, we do sense our need. O Lord, I certainly sense mine. Increase my faith, I pray thee. Increase all of our faith, O Lord. Grant, O Lord, the help of thy spirit. Help us to utilize the means of grace and help us to put our faith to work that thou dost give us so that we aim for thy glory by faith even in the mundane tasks that we perform on a daily basis. And, O Lord, may our faith increase, knowing as we do that it is those that know Thee, that believe in Thee, that will indeed do exploits in Thy name. So hear our prayers, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.